Hey everybody, welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn, and I'm joined by my podcasting partner and Pillar co-founder, Ed Condon. And Ed, you are wearing a hat. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, yes, yes I am wearing a hat. And that hat has an EC on it. What's EC? What's EC? Uh, it's East EC. Carolina University. Oh, is that your East, Car- East Carolina University? Is that... Of all state educational institutions in the Carolinas, uh, East <laughs> Carolina is definitely my favorite because... It has your name on it. Because their baseball team has my initials on the hat. And, yeah, well, uh, that's pretty good. I Can't saw it and that. I bought it and why not? Where did you see it? Where were you when you saw this? So you're wearing, just for those of you who want to picture this, Ed is wearing a purple hat with uh, written in thin gold lettering, uh, the letters E, C, and the E and the C kind of inter interlace with each other. Well, I mean, people who don't like the banter are going to hate this. But um, <laughs> since you asked, where did I see it? I, um, I, as I think a lot of people listen to this show or um, read our newsletters and stuff, know I have, um, I'm a man of private passions, JD. And, Please don't say that. And one of them is is expensive wristwatches. Uh, and there was, it's the big industry expo in Geneva this week. And my goodness me, do I have thoughts, but we don't have time for that here. Uh, but obviously, I can't afford expensive wristwatches because we uh, we make our living on a Substack. We but, have no. We, say it this way: obviously, I can't afford expensive watches because we make our living at an apostolate dedicated to um, news, which aids in the proclamation of the kingdom. Say it that way; it sounds. You know, like I, there are people who make their living through apostolates for the sake of the kingdom <laughs> who can afford expensive wristwear. JD, I'm just not one of them. Well said. <laughs> Pillar reader Cardinal Angelo Becci wears a very Burn. nice Rolex. Burn. Anyway, Burn. this is this Burn is them all. this is sideways. Um, but one of the other things I am uh, I have a, a a slight consuming interest in is 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 baseball hats and specifically minor league and old college hats. And th- there are websites that um, that do reissues and and make nice all wool hats and things like that. And I I check them from time to time. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned to my disgust. Uh, last week that I had recently had a birthday, and while I forbid other people from buying me birthday presents because I, it makes me feel awkward, um, I I splurged and got myself three baseball hats. Wow, three baseball hats. One of which hats. was you only have these one Carolina Pirates. Okay, well, congratulations. It's a very lovely hat, and I, you seem to be doing very well, and uh, and I'm glad about that. That's great. I, but Ed, I am a man of many hats. What would you like to talk about this what week, I want to Jenny? talk about? Because I want to talk about watches and baseball hats, but we can't no, do that. I want that, to talk so. about. Want to talk about me? I want to talk. About, do you like? You don't like country music. I have a limited interest in country music, but you don't. Know, I like Johnny like, Cash, and I like songs in the Johnny Cash <laughs> Uber that are sent to us about me. I, that that's good country music. I, <laughs> I like talking about you, 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 Jubilee. But occasionally, I want to talk about me. You don't know that song, but that's a good that's a good song. I don't know that song. Is that your way of saying that you're a little bit jealous? No, that, I, that I had an amazing song written about me on the show last week. No, uh, I just I just had that Toby Keith song in my. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about my. I want to talk about number one. Is Toby my, Keith oh my, the one who's a think, judge what on I like, what I know, the what I want, what I see. talent show? What's that? Is Toby Keith the guy who's a judge on the talent show? Is he the one who's married to Gwen Stefani? Uh, no, that's um, uh, a Brooks and Dunn. I don't know who that is. It's not Brooks and Dunn, probably both of them. But uh, I don't know. I don't know who it is or what the talent show is. There's a so, TV talent show, and one of the judges is married to Gwen Stefani. I, uh, we've covered this in the news. Oh, no, I mean, I know about the guy that's married to Gwen Stefani, and his name is something else. And uh, no, he is. He's a judge on... Um, he he's a he's a judge on uh, the show that used to have the guy from England. And, oh, okay. Uh, he did the X Factor or something. Yeah, he's a show on the guy from the X Factor. Okay. Yeah. okay. Anyway, moving right along, well, what gotta, would you like Ed, to talk about? I want to talk about Zollner. We got to talk about Zollner. We got to talk about Zollner. We got to uh, got to talk about Zollner. Well, uh, we have to talk about Zollner. We in we fact well, we have to talk Zollner. about a lot about. We have a lot um, to talk about. Guys, listeners, we've been doing a little bit of uh, of of, uh, of cutting up there, but honestly, only a minute of cutting up. Give us a break. We've been doing a little bit of cutting up there, but we have a lot of serious stuff that we have to talk about this week because a lot of stuff has happened. Actually, a lot of stuff <laughs> happened on Saturday, which is now almost a week ago, but um, some big things happened on Saturday, which is typically the day which we take as a, a day of preparation before our day of rest. 
Then uh, some stuff happened during the week, and we're going to start with something that happened during the week. We're going to start with something that happened on Wednesday. The resignation of Father Hans Zollner, S.J., from the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors sent shockwaves through the world of Vatican observers and those concerned with um, safeguarding policy and child abuse and vulnerable adult abuse protection in the life of the church because Father Hans Zollner, S.J., uh, has long been regarded as one of the most credible institutional voices connected to ecclesiastical reform in the wake of clerical abuse scandals uh, out there. And he has been effectively the Vatican's voice, perceived both being as a, a man of the inside, but also a man with a sort of independence of voice. Um, he has been someone who has been looked at as a credible figure in within the Vatican apparatus, committed to reform, and a founding member of the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of, Protection of Minors, as well as the one of the of few the, founding members one left. One of the few founding members left, as well as the director of a kind of institute at the Gregorian University in Rome, committed to sort of both the practicalities and the, philosoph the philosophical and anthropological foundations of safeguarding. Um, he resigned on Wednesday, and uh, he did it, Ed, in what we might call a state of high dungeon fashion. Yeah. Yes, a state of um, high dungeon. He, he shook the dust from his heels. He did not just resign. He, he said in his statement that he... So tell the um, people what happened. Well, he re well so the, the actual announcement of his resignation from the PCPM came from the commission's president, Cardinal Sean O'Malley, who said that... Um, who issued a statement Father, Wednesday around noon, Rome time. Yeah, and said Father Zollner had asked to um, take leave of his duties at the PCPM because basically he had a lot on his plate. He had a lot of calls on his time and he just couldn't... Uh, manage his schedule anymore. He needed. He had a he consulting a gig in the Diocese of Rome on safeguarding. He has this institute, and he yeah. was just a busy, busy guy. He was just. It was all getting too much, and he had to start picking and choosing his roles. And so he had decided um, to to step back from his most prominent of them. Was was basically what Cardinal O'Malley's statement said. Um, Father Zollner's own statement, which hit the social medias about three hours later, I guess. More yeah, so what happened is Cardinal O'Malley released a statement around noon, which said the Father Zollner had resigned because he was too busy. And then, uh, yeah, about three hours later, Father Zollner posted a statement uh, on social media in a couple of languages. And uh, what did that statement say? Uh, he said he wasn't so much stepping down as he was eager to, and this is the word he used, disassociate himself That's with right. the commission and its work he had um and all its works and all its empty promises i mean it was a very, effectively yes. i make that illusion because it was a very strong strong statement after well, and he basically member, accused it of having empty works and empty promises i mean he said that the the internal ordering of the thing is a basket case that there's no clarity and no clarity coming on you know where the pcpm lives and who's in charge of it now that it's been sort of brought under the technical auspices of the dicaster for the doctrine of the faith he said there's zero financial transparency or accountability with how the commission's money is allocated and used um he said that there's just no real understanding of you know transparency and accountability and how the whole thing operates i mean he really did just light the thing up um it was pretty amazing, given that this guy has been, you know, as you say, for a number of years, the man out front for the PCPM and not just the PCPM. He's been, you know, when you want to talk to someone about how the Vatican is dealing with abuse. Yeah. Abuse reform at the macro level of the Catholic Church. You call Father Zollner. He's right. the guy. Let like, me read he, to you some statements from this and then we'll talk about Zollner as a person and some of the things that have happened with him and all this. Okay. Uh the protection of children and vulnerable persons must be at the heart of the church's mission. That was the hope that I and many others have shared since the commission was first established in 2014. However, in my work with the commission, I have noticed issues that need to be urgently addressed, and here's the book, and which have made it impossible for me to continue further. Over the last years, I have grown increasingly concerned with how the commission, in my perception, has gone about achieving that goal, namely the protection of children and vulnerable persons, particularly in the areas of responsibility, compliance, accountability, and transparency. Uh, he says, are there any other areas? I'm just curious. Right, exactly. Yeah. Responsibility, compliance, accountability, and transparency. Uh, then he lays That's those everything. things out, as you said, right? Uh, financial issues, decision-making appointments, how decisions are made. Then he says, it is due to the structural and practical issues that led me to disassociate myself from the PCPM. 
Then he says, indeed, I do intend to focus on my role as a consultant for the Diocese of Rome, as well as the director of the Institute of Anthropology, which is this thing that he uh, has at the Gregorian University. But that um, that's a very strong letter from anybody who quits any job at any time in any place. But Ed, in the life of the church, that's just not done, right? I mean, that's just not... You just don't do this. You just don't, right. You when In the life of the church, when someone quit something because they are at absolute sort of loggerheads with the leaders uh, leadership of it or when someone gets fired from something because they're at act, they've done something profoundly serious <laughs> or oh, take an example take an example take an when, example of a bishop who's been forced to resign because of a Vosestes investigation for right example. exactly when a bishop in this country was forced to resign from his diocese uh bishop mike hopner hepner forced to resign from his diocese because of a Vosestes investigation he, he effectively his resignation was announced you know, with no reason given whatsoever. And then he offered a massive thanksgiving in his cathedral in which he had the opportunity to thank everyone and sort of ride off into the sunset with a bit of a golden parachute. We'll talk about Bishop Bodhi in a minute, but when Bishop Franz Joseph Bodhi of Osnabrück, uh, Germany, resigned, his resignation was accepted on Saturday after reports which found that he had been seriously negligent on issues related to abuse and after very serious doctrinal issues related to him, the Holy See simply said that he was resigning and then... Some other German bishops said that they had lost a dear and respected and valuable and important colleague. That's how you do it in the church. You you damn with faint praise. You uh, don't not even faint praise. Everyone right. gets everyone gets. In fact, the worse an actor you are, you usually get a more uh, positive a higher accolades. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. So this kind of thing is just not done in Holy Mother Church, which really points to a couple of possibilities, doesn't it? Well. I guess I, for me, there's one overwhelmingly likely possibility, which is um, Father Zollner must have been really fed up to the back teeth. Like he must have honestly thought he couldn't, in good conscience, either continue or continue to put a brave face on what he was dealing with uh, inside the PCPM and around the Vatican. And if that's the case, it says something nightmarish about the the state of reform if even um if even the guy who has been the sort of designated cheerleader for everything the church has done since 2018 effectively um says this isn't working and i i it's not just that i don't want to do this anymore it's i don't want to be associated with it um that that's that's really really bad um I don't know. What do you think? What are the other possible alternatives to that? Well, yeah. So, I mean, okay. So, uh, option one is that Father Zollner has been banging a drum. So, he, so interestingly, Father Zollner said that he he submitted, had submitted his resignation. He doesn't give a date on that, but that it was accepted March the 14th. And as far as I can tell, just taking a look here at just some schedule, it looks to me like Father Zollner might have been um, in Paraguay at the time that his resignation was accepted in a, at a meeting with uh, with Cardinal O'Malley and with a few um, others uh, for a Congress, the sort of Latin American Congress on the Prevention of Abuse. So it looks to me like even while his resignation was uh, was accepted, Father Zollner was off doing the work of the commission. I have a question. Yes. He, you're saying that his, his resignation was accepted March 14th. That's what he said in his statement. And in March 14th, he was in Paraguay with Cardinal Sean O'Malley. Yes. Cardinal Sean O'Malley is the president of the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors. Yes. So the resignation of Father Zollner would have been presented to Cardinal O'Malley. Well, see, that's what's very curious here. So that's why I said there's a couple of possibilities. Who else does he represent it to? If right, not the, the strongest president. possibility, right? The strongest possibility is that... Uh, well, hang on. We have to, for context, explain why this is important to parcel. Because um, Cardinal O'Malley, after Father Zollner published his own sort of account of why he had resigned, Cardinal O'Malley put out a subsequent second statement saying he was very surprised and disappointed with um, Father Zollner's uh, sort of public resignation letter. And, you know, again, if Father Zollner resigned for the reasons that he says has said in public that he resigned, which are somewhat at odds with the reasons that Cardinal O'Malley said he had resigned, um, it, it is surprising that Cardinal O'Malley would be surprised at Father Zollner's resignation if at the time he presumably accepted it, he and Zollner were together in Paraguay. You know, Cardinal O'Malley does not, who is the president of the Pontifical Commission, does not appoint the members of the Pontifical Commission. So it's possible that Father Zollner submitted his resignation 
elsewhere, effectively to the Holy Father. The Holy Father, whom he did not mention, acknowledge, or thank in his yeah, um, public resignation statement, which was kind of deafening. Or to the prefect. So the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors falls under the purview, in accord with the changes made by Pope Francis last year in the Vatican structure, falls under the purview of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. So I guess it's possible that Father Zollner submitted his resignation to the prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, who technically would be have oversight over the over the commission, but I, I'm not I hearing find that, that anyway. highly unlikely, given that one of his chief complaints was there being no effective integration of the PCPM into the DDF. Right. So then I suppose it's possible that he might have submitted his resignation to the Secretary of State or to the Secretariat of State, the second section of the Secretary of State. Is it a body of civil governance? I'm sorry, the first section of the Secretary of State? It's a diplomatic? The PCPM no, is no, diplomatic? No, no. Which is the section which deals with internal matters pertaining to the Roman Curia? Second section. The second section. So yes, I was right for the first thing. Yeah, but that's, I mean, part, that's usually like Vatican City stay, you know, and sort of coordination yeah. of stuff. But like if Coordination you, of stuff. That's what I'm saying. Right, I'm saying it's if you resign for, if, if, for example, say Pillar Reader Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia wanted to resign his, his position as president of the Pontifical Academy for life, he wouldn't resign to the Secretary of State just because... No, he'd resign to the Holy Father. Right. Yeah. And, and and if a member of the Pontifical Academy for Life wanted to resign, They'd I guess resign it'd to be six done. Well, it's six of one, half dozen of the other, whether you resign to Polly or the Pontiff. It, it, I don't know. It's but there's curious. something. But in either case, it would seem to me that, it, that if uh, Zollner resigned to the Secretary of State or to the Pontiff, there would have been consultation with O'Malley, the the president of the Pontifical Council for the Protection of Minors. And I would think that that would occasion some conversation about why Zollner was resigning. So O'Malley sort of said, I'm just shocked. I'm absolutely shocked that he's resigning. I thought he, or I'm shocked. I'm absolutely shocked that he says he has all these issues and he has all these problems and he has all these concerns. And we're just trying to figure out, is there any validity to that notion of being shocked there? And it, it only seems possible if Zollner like held in apparently profound and significant frustrations and didn't say anything. And even in his letter of resignation, didn't make mention. I mean, well, that, he was that's saying the these things in public. Possible. He said these things in public in Milwaukee earlier this month. Well, in, Mil in Milwaukee earlier this month, he said Vosestis doesn't work. Vosestis that that seems like work. a fairly telling. Do you think that's the same though as saying the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors doesn't work? Well, given that Vosestis is basically the PCPM's whole gig is making sure, being in charge of the best practice of his implementation. And if he says, look, I'm the founding member of a thing whose whole purpose is the application of this law, and this law doesn't work, and it's being applied without consistency or transparency, I mean, what's the guy got to say? He said it on stage into a microphone. I mean... Yeah. But I mean, I do... So the purpose of the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors is to basically consult with bishops in establishing policy and consult with the Pope in establishing policy. Zollner's criticisms of the PCPM were basically, look, we don't know, it's not clear how we're spending our money, it's not clear how we're, how decisions are being made. They were all, they were not criticisms that others have made in the past, we're not being listened to. They were criticisms about the structure of the thing themselves. I mean, effectively, to my way of thinking, they were criticisms of O'Malley and Father Andrew Small, who's the who's the secretary of the PCPM. Because and they were Pope all Francis. how the thing is being governed. I don't think you could. I don't think it's possible to read this letter as critical of the people running the PCPM, including Father Small and Cardinal Malley, and not say it's also critical of Pope Francis. I'm sorry. Yeah, you want to talk about what's no, not done with Vatican resignations? You don't yeah, resign from a papal appointed position and not thank the Pope. Yeah, right. I mean no, that I was as right. close yeah. to flipping the pontiff the bird on his way out the door as you can get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean you just don't do that. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I agree. That was very significant. Okay, so uh, so what we have now is this situation where a bomb, effectively, Zollner dropped a bombshell, and O'Malley says, I'm very, very surprised. And either, you know, I didn't know about any of these concerns. Either he's very, very surprised, and he didn't know about any of those concerns, or there's a CYA going on there. You're saying it's much, much, much more probable that there's a CYA going on there. And I think I agree. And, you know, I am curious to see to, to know what Zollner's resignation letter said, because it's possible that Zollner's actual resignation letter said, I hereby resign to spend more time with my family. But you would think that O'Malley would ha have been aware of the context, right? I mean, it just does not seem likely to me 
that Zollner resigned to, quote-unquote, spend more time with his family, which is to say to spend more time on other projects, without having railed against issues or having raised issues or having been known as a guy who was frustrated about issues. You know, I've heard, for example, people say, well, Zollner wasn't even coming to, to meetings of the PCPM towards the end. But wouldn't that indicate... Wouldn't that, shouldn't that have indicated that he had some concerns? I mean, if he's not even showing up to the meetings, are people going to say simply, well, he was checked out and it's his problem? Or does it make more sense that people would say, well, that probably suggests that there was a problem, that he had concerns? Yeah. I mean, the only, not the only, the best faith, most reasonable interpretation I can take of Cardinal O'Malley's surprise at um, Father Zollner's resignation message would be that he's surprised that he aired all the dirty laundry in public. I mean, that's the the sort of thing that requires the fewest logical leaves for me, uh, is to say that, you know, I'm very surprised to read he said all of this in public. Like, you know, you don't, we don't do that. We don't, you know, we don't break omerta. The, the first rule of sexual abuse reform is you only talk about how great it's going. Right. Um, right. And I mean, I can see why that would be a surprise that he, I was surprised by Father Zollner's statement. I wasn't unaware of any of the problems that he uh, flagged about the PCPM or Vosestes or anything like that. In fact, we've been writing analysis for since 2019, couple of years pointing now these, these out. Things, right. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't surprised by the substance of any of Zollner's complaints. I was, but I was extremely... surprised by Zollner's and, and yeah. uh, resignation because I didn't know Zollner held those positions effectively. I knew Zollner had criticisms of Vosestes, but I didn't know he basically thought that the PCPM I, was completely dysfunctional. I didn't know he thought the PCPM was completely dysfunctional. I am not surprised to learn that Zollner had, would, would reach absolute breaking point. Um, you know, we, we said that uh, he, he did this three days after Pope Francis repromulgated Vosestes. But he actually not. didn't. No, he actually did right, it before, but that's didn't. what this is when he made yeah. it public. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, went right. public with it then, um, right. and he also went public with it on the same um, on the same day as Vosestes was repromulgated. Franz Joseph Bodhi was resigned, quote unquote, um, from his diocese in Germany, having been found by an independent report to basically have engaged in criminal negligence with regards to clerical sexual abuse. And I mean, it was Bodhi who last year everyone was saying you have to go. Like this is you, this, this report does not, this is not, there's no ambiguity here. This is not mistakes were made passively. There was a bad culture. It was no, you, Bishop Bodhi, systematically over a period of years, in fact, for longer than a decade engaged in behavior that, you know, set places right. like the Archdiocese of Los Angeles or the Archdiocese of Boston on fire back in 2002. Right. Like, you know, exactly. you did all the bad things. You've yeah. got to go. And he said, no, I'm not going to resign. In fact, I think only I really can bring healing. He said, healing. only I can resolve it. He said, I need to stay because I'm... I have I'm discerned in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I have and, discerned that I am absolutely central to the reform of this diocese. And how did he discern it? He said in public, he said, I have discerned yep. that having mm-hmm. talked to Father Hans Zollner, the most credible guy in the world on all of this stuff, I talked to him. And that's how I made up my mind to stick it out. And we, at the time, we reported this and we like started pressing Zollner on this. It's like, you, you told... Bodhi to stick it like you're the you're the guy who keeps saying we need Episcopal accountability you're the guy who's saying the bishops who are totally tainted in this stuff can't remain in office how is it possible you approved of this and then eventually right. it came out it's like no well we Bodhi's we talked about it I didn't yeah. say like oh yeah because Zollner actually Zollner was a kind of a good soldier in the sense that Bodhi was saying oh I checked with Zollner before I made this decision and we went to Zollner and said hey did you sign off on this do you think this is cool is this a good idea he said, I really can't comment on it. It's Bishop Bodhi's to comment on. I can't comment on a private discussion. And we kept pushing and we wrote some analyses and we kept asking. And eventually Bodhi's spokesman had to say, no, 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 Zollner wasn't on board here. Yeah, they talked, but Zollner wasn't on board Sorry, here. And if I, we gave you the impression that Father Zollner approved of Bishop Bodhi's <laughs> right, decision exactly. to remain in office, we, that was... When we used him... You've misunderstood. When we used him All as a we credibility, said was they right, talked. When we used him as a credibility shield. And honestly, I think that Father Zollner has been probably had the frustration of having been used as a credibility shield more than once. Hey, you, everybody respects you on this. Everybody thinks you're great on this. So go out and take a bullet for me. Right. Exactly. And that can be, I've actually had in different contexts, that experience where it's like, oh, nobody, you know, everybody thinks Flynn's going to be an honest broker about this. Let's see if we can pressure him into saying X, Y, and Z. That's extremely frustrating. No one's ever asked me to do that. I can, I, I'd like to say I can imagine, but I can't. So Father Zollner was carrying all this. 
you know, Father Zollner was effectively used to justify Bishop Bodie's a decision of Bishop Bodie's that he made pretty clear he didn't agree with. Uh, Father Zollner had a great many frustrations and has now released this statement basically saying the PCPM is systemically broken. Cardinal O'Malley says, well, we're going to look into that. But it's still, to me, curious, like, the extent, like, okay, so Father Zollner now, I think, is in a position to be, to actually have, at first I thought, okay, well, if he's not on the commission, he's not going to have that much influence. But Father Zollner now actually, having done this thing, assuming that he, he he's playing his card straight here, assuming that, in fact, you know, I mean, I think if Father Zollner's letter, resignation letter said, I'm quitting to spend more time with my family, so to speak. I think that would actually undermine his credibility considerably. But, um, but, but even still, I do think he probably was manifesting these concerns apart from his resignation letter. Uh, but still, Father Zollner now with his institute, I think will still, I think the Holy See is still going to have to, no matter how angry probably they are with him, still going to have to sort of try to look for Father Zollner's. Um, Operbatio on policies they roll out because he probably is still the most and probably more now than he was before the most trusted international figure on abuse and reform and more now than he was before well what will not change now is this before he resigned if you wanted to get someone's opinion on if you wanted to talking an expert talking head on sexual abuse reform in the vatican or really the church in general you called father zoner you better believe yeah. he's still going to be the first person everyone calls now. It's just, it's going to be right. a lot more interesting before you call him for like, okay, could you please give us the official, this is great. Everything's going fine. We're doing great work response. Now you're going to get the, this is, this is a guy who now likes to speak his mind. I will yeah. be very interested to hear what he has to say about this. Like if another yeah. Bodhi happens tomorrow, I think we might get a very different statement from father Zoner than we got the last time there was a Bishop Bodhi. I think that's right. And of course, the reason why there's interest in a statement on Bishop Bodhi, and uh, and I think we'll talk about this as we talk about the the uh, revisions to Vosestis Lex Mundi, but the reasons why there would be interest in a statement on Bishop Bodhi is uh, because when Bishop Bodhi, who uh, resigned after having, you know, a report say that he did decades of administrative negligence on abuse in serious and grave ways, and after having done doctrinal things, which we've talked about on this show, like advertising for the liturgical blessings of same-sex couples, resigned with uh, no comment at all from the Holy See. And the sort of notion in the institutional press, in the institutional German press, that he was having health problems. I mean, you know, it, it, it's the Holy See has not been willing to say, and I think this is probably a great deal of Zollner's frustration, this kind of thing, although not obviously this one, um, because he had already resigned, but the Holy See was not willing to say Bodhi's resignation has been accepted because of his administrative negligence with regard to... Criminal abuse. negligence, as defined yeah. in Vosestis. Yeah, canonically criminal negligence as, in Vos, as, as defined in Vosestis, precisely. Yeah, a Vosestis of Bishop Bodhi would have found that he violated just about all of its norms. You, but the Holy See, you say would have. Did he not have a Vosestis? Well, we don't know. Exactly. Right? We don't know because... yeah. So that's, that's where we get to um, a discussion about the substantive reform of Vosestis, which was promulgated on Saturday. And this is something that we have been talking about in one form or another. Now, gosh, we've been talking about the need to reform Vosestis since Vosestis was promulgated in 2019. Uh, Vosestis Lex Mundi, Pope Francis's legislative uh, approach to, um, to uh, investigating bishops accused of abuse or administrative misconduct, which was, in fact initially championed. Ed, do you remember whose idea Vosestis was before it was Pope Francis's idea? Uh, it was, It was. I mean, the, you mean for a universal legislation or you mean the sort of mechanism of investigation and accountability? The mechanism of investigation and accountability, oh, it was, which we at one time called the Metropolitan Model. Yes, the, the, the origin of the Metropolitan Model uh, was Donald Cardinal Whirl of Washington, D.C. And? Uh, well, he let Blaise Subic put his name on it, too. <laughs> Well, Blaise Supic. I reported Blaise, that. I, that's not me editorializing. I reported how this happened. I had people who give the, tell the people because they don't remember. There was it during the the tense meeting of the USCCB in Baltimore in November of 2018 at the height of the McCarrick scandal. There the were meeting two, in which the bishops were planning on voting on a policy. Yes, there were two. Uh, the there were, were two 
proposals. Um, there was, and these did not split by the way, like the, the, where the conference sat on this, where the conference membership sat us did not split on what people would consider to be ideological lines. Um, you had, that's right. Because Shapio agreed with uh, Supich. Yes. Um, so there was on one side, there was the sort of official USCCB executives proposal, which was to create a national independent reporting and investigative investigative net. model. Effectively, lay- they weren't calling it this. But a promoter, a national promoter of justice, although without the canonical power. Without the canonical power and, you know, entirely lay-led and sort of self-sustaining and self-accountable and out, existing outside of the ecclesiastical hierarchy. And then the other proposal, the the World Supich Plan, was the metropolitan model, which said the church and has... And if you remember... Okay, so if you do you remember the way in which it lay, was laid out? The bishops were not allowed to vote on whether or not they were going to implement the national independent lay review body. And then uh, the Holy See told them they couldn't vote. And then Cardinal Supich stood up. There was sort of an open mic night uh, because they didn't have anything else on the agenda. And Cardinal Supich stood up and said, well, I've got an alternative plan that we could talk to about Rome. Just spitballing here. What if the metropolitans were empowered to investigate it? And as it happens, then he pulls up the sheaf of papers. I've drafted a plan to this effect. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we should bring this to Rome and see what they think. And then we reported, you indeed reported, that uh, Cardinal Supich, working with Cardinal Borel, had already consulted on that very, very plan with the Congregation for Bishops. It was, and that it was known around the Congregation for Bishops as the World Plan. The World Plan. It, it, it's, it was just a hilarious sequence of events. Well, I've got an idea. I'm just spitballing here. I have, right. you know, a 26-page brief on something mm-hmm. I just thought of last night. Yeah. So that's how we got. And again, this does not break down like in terms of who was in favor of what did not break down logical cardinal. I'm sorry. Bishop Charles Chaput was like the one of the most vocal supporters of the metropolitan model and said, you know, this is the church's ecclesiology. We can't just junk that because we've had a terrible. Yeah, basically people who I mean, that was the breakdown is people who uh, sort of I don't want to say institutionalists, but the breakdown was people who felt that the most appropriate thing was a kind of using the church's existing structures to investigate these things rather than creating kind of new investigative structures. Now, I disagree with their perception of that because the church does have a role for a promoter of justice, a public prosecutor. And so either of them, in fact, could be spun as kind of coming out of the church's legal No, but that wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't a national framework. The problem was that it was going to be entirely independent and lay-led and not in any way folded into the ecclesiastical structures of the church. And I was, look, I was four square behind the metropolitan model versus the alternative proposal. I was not. I know you weren't. You were wrong. We were really split on that. Yeah. Did you say I was wrong? Yes. Um, How's that metropolitan model working out? I didn't say it was good. I didn't say it was... It, look, I feel about the metropolitan model the way I feel about democracy. It's it's a dumb idea, and it clearly doesn't work, but it is at least defensible and coherent compared to the other alternatives that were presented at the time. Now, I have also said the job I will quit the pillar for tomorrow, if asked, is national promoter of justice for the Diocese yeah. of the United States, but that's not what was on the table. No, not exactly. I no, mean, not, it was not exactly. exactly. The, the point was it was outside the ecclesiological understanding of the church's hierarchy. It was outside of all ecclesiastical structures. That was its whole point. Yeah, that was, it wasn't going to lead to canonical proceedings and those kind of things. Yeah, yeah that's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't agree with you. It but was taking all of the mistakes of lay review boards at the diocesan level in the United States and saying, we're going to replicate those on steroids <laughs> at the national level, and it would have been a dumpster fire. Yeah, whereas the metropolitan model was taking it's a quiet uh, dumpster of, fire. Yeah, right. It was taking it's a it's a it's forty seven dumpster models or whatever it is, but it was taking all of the mistakes of bishops sort of quietly moving around priests accused of misconduct and deciding that that would be the way that we would handle. We, we uh, will instead quietly move bishops around into retirement. That's <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, please, uh, um, uh, after decades of praising this bishop who is my neighbor and saying how great he is. Uh, please, would you do me a favor and appoint me to investigate him so I can give um, a, a secretive account of whether or not he's acting with integrity? Yeah, this sounds like a great plan as well for the execution of justice. Yeah. Okay. So Pope Again, Francis, all of these are problems that are frankly acknowledged by officials at the DDF, people at the PCPM, the Congregation for Bishops. Like, you, if you talk to any of them, say, well, I, I won't go on the record about this. I couldn't possibly, you know. I won't go on the record. I couldn't possibly break Omerta in public. But, you know, yeah, this this whole thing is a nightmare. It doesn't make any so sense. That's where, that's, where, um, that's where Zollner really, you know, Zollner beginning you know, earlier this year began saying more concretely, look, Vos Estes doesn't work. And actually, you know, to his credit, Father Andrew Small, the secretary of the PCPM, 
has also said in different ways, Vosestes has serious problems. Now, I don't think as concretely as Zollner saying it doesn't work at all. Um, but, I mean, th there have been other... Zollner is not alone as a critic of Vosestes on the record as an institutional figure in the life of the church. No, I think it's right. Yeah. Okay, so that's where Zollner um, began to criticize. And uh, where we were going with that was that Pope Francis promulgated revisions to Vosestes Lex Mundi uh, on Saturday. And it would be appropriate, I think, for us to talk about those revisions. Right after a word from our sponsor. Friends, we don't have a sponsor this week. There is no commercial break in the Pillar podcast this week. If you're listening to this podcast and you would like to hear all about something that's near and dear to you and give us money and allow us to keep doing the things that we are doing, please send contact us a note. Us. Contact Be us. Touch. We're for sale. You can put words into our mouth. I will right sing here, you a happy right birthday now. if that's what you want. And you could ask our many, many happy advertisers, none of whom are advertising this week, but you could ask our many, many happy advertisers. We will generate business for you and make you look cool along the way. Not because we're cool, but because you'll look cool. In comparison when, to us. Yeah, in comparison. Precisely. Thank you. This Oh, no, sorry, no, 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 no freebies. Given, no. Why buy the cow? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're back, everyone, from that non-commercial break. And uh, uh, we were talking about Vosestes Lex Mundi, and it's appropriate to talk about the... the, the okay. um, it, if, the updates to Vosestes that were promulgated. Yeah. So Vosestes Lex Mundi was promulgated in 2019. It is a model by which bishops, uh, uh, metropolitan archbishops are empowered to investigate allegations of abuse or administrative misconduct on the part of their suffragan bishops. Or if the metropolitan is accused of abuse or administrative misconduct, then the senior suffragan bishop is empowered to investigate him. Important legal qualification, please. They are not empowered via Vosestes. Because you cannot. Because only one... Authority is competent to investigate a bishop, which is the apostolic. The sin. Roman pontiff, yeah. Vosestes creates a mechanism by which yeah, the apostolic right, okay. see empowers people to that's investigate right. on its behalf, and it sets up the presumption in favor that's of right. the person designated being the metropolitan. That's right. Yeah, that's very, very true. The metropolitan is empowered by Vosestes to make a report. <laughs> Formally speaking. <laughs> Metropolitan is empowered by Vosestes to make a report to the Apostolic See, and actually mandated by Vosestes is probably better to say to make a report to the Apostolic See. It makes See them regarding... mandated reporters. It doesn't give them. Yes, it makes them mandated reporters with power. the presumption that they will be subsequently delegated to investigate allegations of administrative abuse or misconduct on the part of bishops, or, or excuse me, personal abuse or administrative misconduct on the part of bishops, and also religious peers had fit in there previously, but. Uh, when Pope Francis promulgated this in 2019, after it was written by Cardinal Whirl with a little help from his friend, uh, Cardinal Blaise Supic, uh, and with some input from the Congregation for Bishops, Pope Francis promulgated it for a three-year-odd experimentum period, 2019, 20, 21, 22. So as you can see, the three years expired a little while ago, but in the manner... You know what? We had a conversation on this show last year at mm -hmm. some point, mm -hmm. probably in June last year about how the pro tem promulgation of Vosestes had lapsed. And I think we took bets on how long it would take for it to either be confirmed, re-upped for another experimentum period or whatever. And I don't remember what either of us predicted. But... I don't remember what we bet or what the stakes were, but I know that there are listeners who remember. Uh, so if you remember what our bet was about how long it would take for Vosestes to be effectively promulgated permanently with reforms or without reforms or whatever it was that we bet, please let us know and we'll... And if you just uh, want to make well something up and assert it with yeah, authority we'll in the comments, go for it. We're not yeah, going to check. that's exactly right. We'll probably believe it. Okay, so uh, even though it was promulgated for a three-year period by virtue of the structure of canon law and something is promulgated for a longer... for a period of time, it l continues beyond the period of time until notification of the expiration of the period of time. So Vosestes remained in effect... Until Pope Francis promulgated today, Vos Estes 2.0, or excuse me, on Saturday, Vos Estes 2.0, it's back, and it's practically the same as ever. Um, but there were some minor changes to Vos Estes Lex Mundi. Um, the biggest sort of change is the, is expanding the scope of the thing to include the, the, uh, the leaders of what the Holy See calls... Uh, international movements recognized by the Holy See. And there, I think they mean effectively public juridic persons would fall under the aegis of the Congregation for uh, Lady, Lady, Family, family and Life. life. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what they mean there, but if the term wasn't 
as canonically precise as I'd like, but hey, this is a new era, and I'm, I'm an old fuddy-duddy who likes legal precision, and I, that's my hang-up, I guess. Except when you know we're talking about the Metropolitan Model, <laughs> in which case you seem to think legal precision is just penny-fogging. <laughs> I don't know what penny-fogging is, or <laughs> it's appropriate. Okay. Uh, so, uh, the biggest change to my way of thinking, the most significant sort of change is the change in scope, which, uh, said that, that, uh, certain lay people could also be investigated for abuse or administrative misconduct. And you're wondering to yourself, who, who, what kind of leaders? Well, effectively leaders of large ecclesiastical, ecclesial movements that are under Vatican supervision for me. And I know they would probably quibble with this because I think they would say we're not a movement. Something like the neocatechumenal way comes to mind or, Something like communion and liberation, which I think embraces the notion of being a movement. Uh, Ed, uh, are there, although the leader of communion and liberation is not a layperson, um, but Ed, are there other, um, are there other kinds of movements that come to mind for you? San Egidio? San Egidio, which is a kind of peace movement centered in Italy, but having its uh, tentacles all over yeah, the world. I would have thought Focolari and communion and liberation Focolari, were the obvious one. which is a kind of a kind of a retreaty kind you guys know what folklore is better than i do or the same as i do which is not very much at all um, but these kinds of ecclesial movements which have cropped up in the last in recent decades and and are defined by uh, can we just revisit cropped up flowered after the second vatican council is that not effectively the same I, I feel like you were being dismissive. You made it sound like, you know, pebbles in the road that the church has had to, you know, trip over. And let, let us let us not sneer at the at the flowering I, of I'm lay I'm a big ecclesia. ecclesial movement guy. I live in the Archdiocese of Denver. It's Ecclesial Movement Center USA. Is it? I'm a... Listening to yeah, you talk, I mean, look, for the last week listening to you talk, I just assumed it was the, the Syro-Malabar capital of the Western Hemisphere because that's all you <laughs> no, tell me about is the local I, I've been, holy corbanas that you want to go to. I've been on a Syro-Malabar kick. I have been extremely interested of late in the Cyril Malabar uh, Eastern Catholic Church, but that is a podcast for another day. I I don't know. I wanted to offer some Cyril Malabar phrase, but I'm not sufficiently initiated in the whole thing yet to be able to say what it is. Someday, yet I shall be able to tell you what a good Cyril Malabar phrase is. At any rate, um, actually, I would I would like to know, and I know we have Cyril Malabar listeners to the show. Are we just, is this just a free-for-allist conversation that we've I'm having had? fun. This is great Catholic conversation. This is what we I, promise. We're doing I, what we say on the tin. I love it. I just wanted to know what we're doing here. Yeah, if, if we have Cyro Malabar listeners, and I'm pretty sure we do. Um, we, I, I know we do because we met one. I know. That's what I'm saying. I would like to know, and if you could let us know in the comments or by email, what is the, what is the, in the Holy Corbana, what is the equivalent phrase for peace be with you? And the response. I would like to know. I would also like to know that as well. And we could also ask Ciro, uh, we could also ask if we have any, we could ask Ciro Malankar, Eastern Catholic Malankara. listeners, because Malankara, Eastern Catholic listeners, because the Ciro Malabars celebrate the Holy Kirbano and the Anna. Ciro Ma, excuse me, the Ciro Malabars celebrate the Holy Kirbano, which is their liturgy, their divine liturgy. And the Ciro Malankar celebrate the Holy Kirbano. And I uh, have not been able to figure out yet whether those are actually different liturgies or different terms for the same liturgy. I've been watching both Holy Kirbana and Holy Kirbano on YouTube. And uh, first of all, the music is awesome. Second of all, I, but, 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 but my own Lat with my own Latin eyes, I can't tell. I mean, and I know a thing or two about liturgy, but I can't tell if the same liturgical form is being observed or slightly different. I, I feel like it must be different because... What little I know of both the Syro Malabar and Salamarankara churches comes from a paper I had to write in law school. And I remember discovering what is obvious to members of those churches, but was a surprise to me, an ignorant Latin, um, that they have completely different, like they are not, they don't have a common point of origin that then split off. Like they, they're yeah, totally one is from different. Eastern Syrian, one has origins in Eastern Syrian immigrants to India. And one has origins in West Syrian immigrants to India. So their point of commonality is back in Syria, but the split precedes their presence in and India. And the Syro-Malankara church was in and out, has been in and out of communion with Rome at different mm -hmm. points in history. Was the Syro-Malabar church has always been in communion with Rome. Like they are, they have totally different histories. So I have to, and also a part of the, the, the differences behind those two totally different histories has also been on occasion totally different articulations of Christology and things like that. Right, exactly. So I, think, well, I, I think have to assume the liturgies was, are totally was different. Was one of them Nestorian for a while? Was yes, the that's Cyro Malankara. That's why they kept going in and out of um, 
communing with Rome for a period. Mm. It's all water under the bridge now. They're they're all in the loving they're bosom in, of Mother never, Rome. Never shall that change. Never shall that change. But yes, there there was there there was some Nestorian stuff, that, which again related to how they how the church started in the first place and where people came from from Eastern Syria going to India and you know that it was you know that's where it all came from. So yeah, I have to assume there are big differences in the liturgy. But both are sung liturgies. Oh well, then. <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm just. They're singing are... in foreign. It must be the same thing. Both. There are some. Uh, how how can I say? There are some. There are. There's aesthetically. Ah. They are far more similar, and even the order of the liturgy, in as much as I can discern it, which is distinct from the Latin order of the liturgy, or for that matter, the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, they seem to bear striking resemblance to one another. With that said, the content of the prayers might be very, very different, and there might be differences in the, or, in the, in the sort of uh, order of the liturgy that I just, not speaking the language of the liturgy, or being schooled in it, I'm completely unaware of. But I have been interested, you are right, that I have been of late interested in attending Holy Kurbana, and I was excited to discover that I could attend Holy Kurbana not too far from my house, and I talked with Mrs. Flynn about this, and uh, she's on board to check it out. So, um, yeah, so that's neither here nor there. Okay, moving back to what we were originally talking about before, this is that you live in Denver, and the reason we care about you living in Denver is because there are lots of late movements. Movement, movement, movement. And, okay, so Vos Estes was expanded in its repromulgation to include to basically apply the same sort of norms and laws and expectations and processes that apply to bishops and leaders of religious communities to leaders of lay associations recognized as or, such. or associations, some of whom may be lay, which yeah. is good, which is very, very good because uh, we know from our reporting and from the history, recent history of the church, that the leaders of ecclesiastical movements can sometimes be bad actors yes um yes that can happen and, okay uh, but so here's the thing is this is this law going to be effective or is this just your legislation because well you pointed out something very interesting which is to say that a cleric um who so um so the law applies to people who've been in leadership positions in ecclesiastical movements. past tense it, apl- it allows for the pro- present and past tense yes. someone who is was and, and is um, in a leadership position in an ecclesiastical movement. A cleric in such a position who's investigated, a bishop or a retired bishop who's investigated, can, in addition to being deprived of his office, uh, could can be laicized for having committed various kinds of... But or, can also or taken have out of min- taken out of ministry or issued with penal precepts that say you're going to go here, right, you're going exactly. to live here, you're going to do this. Yeah, exactly. Suspended from ministry. There are any number of penalties that a cleric can have. Whereas a, with a layperson... Privation of office is the only, is seemingly the only penalty that the church would be able to leverage against someone accused of these kinds of crimes. Why? Because what we're talking about here is a perpetual penalty, not like an excommunication, which is intended to, to uh, medicinal affect the reform. A medicinal penalty, which is intended to affect reform, um, and can be um, can be uh, ceased. What is the word? Uh, the penalty will cease with the reform of the offender yeah, and the rehabilitation. With the reform of the offender, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, what we're talking about here are perpetual penalties—a penalty of justice which imposes some restriction on the person. What we used to call vindictive penalties. Vindictive penalties, and they are indeed vindictive, and because vindictive. they vindicate. Yeah, right. Precisely, and that's not a bad thing. So, um, you pointed out, and rightly so, that privation of office is effectively the only um, uh, perpetual penalty that can be imposed on a layperson in such a circumstance. And while the Holy See could sort of recommend to them a life of prayer and penance or impose a precept that precludes them from having communication with the, with the community or even see them expelled from the community, those are not really the same as laicization. They, they are penalties. I mean, expulsion from the community, if the community is your life, is a penalty. So I don't think you're totally right that there's nothing the Holy See can do. But there's a there, there's less the Holy See can do than can be done to Expulsion from the community could be a thing, but... It, I... I, I know from having read the statutes of, of such um, associations or quasi-associations or things that are not associations or quasi-associations but are grouped with them by the Holy See that membership is a very slippery concept. That's often. true for some. I mean, yeah, no, that's true probably for many. That's probably true for CL. It's certainly true for the Neocats who argue that they don't have any members. It's not that they it's argue true. that it says in their statutes. That's what I mean. Yeah, who don't have any law. members, but who have sort of... But if we're talking about the application of penalties, you can't strip membership from someone yeah, who's proper from law. From someone who doesn't formally have it. Yeah. yeah, right. If it's a spirituality and a 
sort of fraternity. You can be prohibited from engaging with other people who, what though? I mean, if they're not members either. So it's tricky. It's it's like trying to say to someone, well, you, you are prohibited from doing the spiritual exercises of Ignatius of Loyola. Yeah, you're, you're sort of expelled from Ignatian spirituality. It's like, yeah. well, what do you do with yeah, that? Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see if and when and how these new provisions are brought in. But I, I, I understand, I think, the intent behind them, and I can recognize that. And at the same time, I, again, as, I, as we often do with the norms of Vosesti since they were first brought out in 2019, I look at this and I go, I understand the problem you are trying to address. I'm not sure I understand. Not sure that you've done it. Yeah, I'm not sure how this does that in a coherent legal way. Okay, so the change that got the most headlines is actually a change that doesn't do anything. Um, lots and lots of people made a lot of hay out of the fact that the church in Vosestes, the Holy Father, has changed the phrase vulnerable person to vulnerable adult. So while it used to be that uh, um, you, these were investigations that pertain to the abuse of both a minor or a vulnerable person, it, the norm has changed so that this is an investigation of abuse against a minor or a vulnerable adult. And a vulnerable adult is defined as a person who, I don't have the precise definition in front of me, but a person who in some way is deprived of liberty to resist an offense against them. Is that fair, Ed? Yeah, I, I think we is should that a give... a fair encapsulation? I would like I to give the definition? Let's give the whole, because okay. I think it's important, because it is difficult... To the motu proprio, Ed, to, to the, the motu proprio. Um, it, it is a very, very slippery definition. And I mean, I, I refer to it, and I know other candidates who refer to it as the 1095-2 of penal law. Yeah. 1095-2 right. being a... a a canon pertaining to cases of marriage nullity and, and grounds, therefore, that is widely perceived amongst tribunal practitioners to be somewhat elastic in its definition. Um, let me have a look. No, oh, I have it in Italian here, but I don't know. No, I have it in English. I am looking for... It's Article 3, isn't it? Here we go. It's it's not. It's Article 1. Paragraph 2, uh, point B, a vulnerable person, now a vulnerable adult, means any person in a state of infirmity, physical or mental deficiency, or deprivation of personal liberty, which, in fact, even occasionally, limits their ability to understand, to want, or otherwise resist the offense. The problem, of course, is that that definition is so broad that anyone could be a vulnerable uh, person. The change that was made was that while this used to say vulnerable person, it now says vulnerable adult, but that's no and change of course, at all. That's fine. That's no change at all because every minor is, by definition, in this law and various other laws, vulnerable. vulnerable. And so there's yeah. So moner, minors are, by definition, vulnerable. And so now these are rather. So the old everyone is a person. You're either a minor or an some, adult. You're a minor and adult, and some adults are vulnerable. Yeah. And all all minors are vulnerable yes. by virtue of their being minors. So so the change, which was the change from vulnerable person to vulnerable adult, doesn't it doesn't make any change. It at is all. a zero substantive value, but yes. it is it is it is excellent and welcome precision of language. That to say vulnerable person in I this suppose. sense and define it that way is a tautology. I don't mind because, it including I don't mind it including the tautology of minor. I mean, it doesn't offend me that it did. I don't think it's important that it. Look, I, I'm looking to applaud legal <laughs> precision where I find it and can. And, but the pro but it's again it's the we definition. don't have that precision in the definition of what a vulnerable adult is. Right. But we if we can at that, least right. be precise with saying well we're referring to adults. adults, then fine. The challenge is um, the church wants rightly to protect vulnerable adults, and I and I've talked with you about situations that I've reported or that I've encountered in other kinds of work or ministry where you know really a person was by virtue of the kind of relationship they had to a cleric, or by virtue of the influence of the cleric and their life or on their spiritual life or by virtue of their own sort of personal circumstance or personal challenge um, or all of those things. I, I, I have told you about sort of like we've talked about the fact that there really are adults who are whose, whose freedom is impinged and who are not sort of entering into relationships with, with, um, with clergy as, as equals. Every seminarian, by virtue of his relationship to clergy, is, uh, is um, vulnerable, I think, in very, very concrete ways. But the problem with this definition is, I, I guess that vulnerability is hard to define. Although I think maybe I just took a pretty good stab at it right here. Um, but the definition that this, that the that Vosestes gives is so broad, it, it's hard to know what the limits of it would be. Or maybe the notion is to cast a very wide net, and then to allow the DDF to sort of make judgments about that. But there's a problem with that. It causes real challenges. You really want to say something? About well, this, first of all, the DDF is incompetent to handle cases involving vulnerable adults, yeah, as defined so. by this. 
the DDF has a separate legally Thank you. That's a, approved yeah. definition, which is those who are effectively equivalent to minors. Yeah, non suit compass, people who don't who yeah. lack sort of the volition by virtue of some Yes. So this the DDF doesn't touch these vote. cases of vulnerable yeah, adults according you. to this decision. It would it's it's for, in fact, as we reported at the, the time, this Carl, is a diversion. Carl, uh, Archbishop Shikaluna told the US bishops uh, the other year at their meeting, this is for the local bishops to investigate. Right. The so it's for local bishops to investigate, but it's it's not fair in a certain way to, to to give local bishops this broad definition because it sets up expectations, competing expectations between the way the bishop might interpret vulnerability and the way that the cleric's attorney might interpret vulnerability and the way that the alleged victim might interpret vulnerability. And that sets up, I think, is a recipe rather than for the law being a place of conciliation and healing, it becomes a place of conflict over semantics. And confusion. But you know what I was thinking yeah. is, as you were talking about this, and it's just occurred to me now, is there there is, um, in the Eastern Code, there is the recognition of, so in, in marriage law and in various other parts of canon law in the West, we have a recognition of consanguinity, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you oh. know, relation to, of blood. But then we have relations of... A uh, spiritual relationship. Yeah, we have affinity in the West, which is basically your in-laws, yeah. affinity by marriage. But the Eastern Code actually recognizes spiritual affinity, that if you're yeah, in a spiritual right. relationship right. with someone and it recognizes right. it and defines it, and that, why couldn't we have gone with that? Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a very good idea. I fixed and, Vos Estes, the, right there. You, I think you did. I mean, that Done. would have been much better, actually. And and spiritual relationships can cover a broad... It's not only your godchildren. It can cover a broad swath of people. Yeah, it, but like it pastor, gets the priest, penitent, is spiritual director. A person who comes to you for counsel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Even someone whose a, relationship is primarily defined by the fact that you're a cleric. Yeah. I think that would have been a much better way to do it. Nobody asked me. No, but well, no, but I wish you'd thought of it earlier because I do think we've been saying stuff that people sometimes listen to. Maybe. Okay, so that change. Then there's a change in Vosestes, which I find very interesting, which says that uh, hey, previously we said that a person making an, a, a, um, a complaint is not bound by confidentiality, but we also want to let you know that a person who is aware of a person making a complaint or a potential witness in a Vosestes proclama- you know investigation is also now bound by confidentiality. Basically. Anybody can say anything. Except um, they can't. Now, yeah, in praxis, we know that that has not been true thus far. We know, for example... It's also in the law. It's also in Vos Estes, that it cites the relevant canons for ordinary oh, chancery right, secrecy. Right, right, so right, they right. say you can't yeah. bind anyone to secrecy about this, not just the complaint, but anyone who knows about the complaint. They're all free to talk, except if they actually, you know, work for the church, in which case they're bound by ordinary secrecy. And there's also an emphasis on the fact that people who work for the church are able to make complaints, but again, this reiteration of secrecy. But I think, you know, people who make complaints will do what they do, and I don't think the church is going to prosecute them for having having made an issue. The bigger issue, to my mind, with regard to confidentiality is that Vos Estes II does not address in any way whatsoever whether the Holy See has any obligation at all to acknowledge Vosestes' complaints publicly, to acknowledge Vosestes' investigations publicly, or to acknowledge the dispositive results of investigations publicly. And that means that Vosestes' investigations can continue to be secret mechanisms of justice. And if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, justice in secret is no justice at all. Why? Because justice exists for the good of the whole community. The biggest lacuna in Vosestes, the biggest problem with Vosestes 1, is that these investigations, the conflict of interest is a bit of a problem, and they try kind of to get at the conflict of interest here. But the biggest problem in Vosestes 1 is that these investigations take place in secret, and if you try to find out about them, you get in trouble. And you cannot say we're going to address a problem with the buzzword transparency all o- plastered all over the place, but you can't. we won't tell anyone about it, and we'll admonish people who try to find out about it. You simply can't. The, the exceptions to that... The Hepner investigation was an exception to that. The DiMarzio investigation was an exception to that. The investigation of the Bishop of Dodge City, who, who stepped down voluntarily, was an exception to that. He self-publicized reason, effectively, though. I mean, he, he, he self-publicized. Was, he was a, right. I consider that, you know, given given how that all played out, I uh, that what a he did a great he did a great job. And more importantly, when he did it all, I, I think I'm remembering this correctly. If I'm wrong, correct me. But I think he said, I'm self-declaring that I'm under investigation, and I am choosing to step down voluntarily, even though, as we've discussed before, Vosestes makes no such requirement. He said, because right. this is how my priests would be treated. Priests would be treated, exactly And I am that, standing right. in solidarity with them. The law that's good enough for yep. them is good enough for me. And I yep. I literally stood up at my desk and applauded when I read that statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but uh, but Vosestes does not acknowledge that. And the reason I say those are exceptions is because there are many other Vosestes investigations, which we've reported about and a few that other media outlets have reported about, um, that uh, ref- that go that are well known to exist uh, and even documented to exist that the Holy See refuses to acknowledge. And again, just if the goal was to sort of reassure trust, uh, reassert trust and credibility, you can't do it in secret. Nope. Well, the Pillar Podcast. Yeah, I was about to say we had that was a substantive conversation in a tight hour. It I feel was that was that was a great Catholic conversation. Well done. Well done to you, sir. Yeah, the Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and NGD Production. Uh, our executive producer is the great Kate Oliveira, and we'll be back. Oh, we will we will not be back next week. Next week is Good Friday. You should not be listening to us on Good Friday. We should not be talking to each other on Good Friday. So we will see you. We are going to be talking to each other on Good Friday. Okay, good. Down with me. It's